Have you heard of Django? It's this little web framework that, well, kicked off much of Python's significance in the web space back in 2005. And that makes Django officially an adult. That's right, Django is now 18, and Django continues to lead the way on how communities should be done for individual projects such as web frameworks. We have Carlton Gibson and Will Vincent back on the show this episode to discuss a bit of Django history, Django trends in 2023, a little bit of HTMX in Django, and lots more. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 428, recorded July 26th, 2023. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Mastodon, where I'm at mkennedy, and follow the podcast using at TalkPython, both on bostodon.org. Be careful with impersonating accounts on other instances. There are many. Keep up with the show and listen to over seven years of past episodes at talkpython.fm. We've started streaming most of our episodes live on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel over at talkpython.fm YouTube to get notified about upcoming shows and be part of that episode. This episode is brought to you by Sentry and us over at TalkPython Training. Please check out what we're both offering during our segments. It really helps support the show. Will Carlton, welcome to TalkPython Me. It's awesome to have you both back on the show. Thank you for having us on again, Michael. Yes, thank you. It's always fun. Yeah, it's always fun to have other podcasters on the show. We'll talk a bit about your podcast in a moment. Maybe just do a quick introduction. I know people probably know you from your show, Django Chat. They know you from being on the on Talk Python previously, but for those who don't, Will, we'll go first. Sure. So William Vincent, I have three books on Django, most notably Django for Beginners. I run a site, learnjango.com. I just got off three years being on the board of Django. So Django is run by a nonprofit. Run a weekly newsletter on Django, Django News. Uh, too many things. So yeah, most of my time is spent doing some consulting and a lot of teaching and learning about Django. So I'm very happy to be at that It's a good stage. combination, right? If you can make it work, it is. Yeah. I mean, you need that sort of cycle of you know, I need to learn too and be interested. Yes. I like learning and teaching. So one of the challenges that I think people can fall into on the traps is if you just teach, it's hard to have that. It looks like a good idea, but let me tell you, it's a bad idea. And here's the three reasons. And here are the tears that I've shed because I tried this this way. The scars. You need a little hands-on. Like for me, it's running all the infrastructure and APIs and mobile app stuff at TalkPython, which is plenty to get the tears I've Pulled out plenty of hair, but you know, like I think consulting plus teaching is a really common mix for that. You like it? Yeah, I do. I mean, so I've been working on, so I have this site, learnjango.com, that I'm trying to consolidate everything onto that site. And so that's been an effort I've been working on in earnest the last couple of months. And so it's actually been really fun to just be an engineer for a change. And I kind of wish I could find a me to help me when I get stuck, but there is no being, as Carl, Carlton will share something, you know, being stuck is part of the game, but it's, it's uniquely satisfying and frustrating to code because everything is solvable. But I, you know, still I find things that stop me for a couple of days, and I'm just like, it brings me back to like the first, you know, couple of months of coding and like the terror of like I'm not smart enough, I can't do this. But I know that I'll get it done, and I do get it done. So you get the yin, yin and yang, but it's uniquely satisfying to do the commit and it's done, right? Whereas even even a podcast, it's in the bank, but it's not quite the same binary feeling of accomplishment. That's true. The getting stuck is frustrating, but also it means you're about to level up, right? You're going to figure out something. Yeah. I try to be excited about it because I know if I'm stuck, then lots of other people are going to be stuck. Or a lot of times I'm stuck on one little thing and it's 
really because there's some other thing I some fundamental I didn't know as well as I thought I did. So we can talk about that, but I have I have thoughts on all of that. So yeah, it's a nice it's a nice <laughs> mix to do. And more importantly, now I have friends and peers who, when I get stuck, I can ask them. So Carlton, of course, is one of them. You know, Django, former Django <laughs> fellow. Hey, Carlton, um, and a couple others. <laughs> it's important to you know we can talk about this, but when you're learning, learning how to ask a good question on Stack Overflow or Django has its own forum, which is a great resource forum.djangoproject.com. You know, but the next stage is like I did a walk, I slept on it like knowing when to ping a friend because you don't want to ping a friend all the time. But sometimes it's like, okay, like this is, I'm truly stuck. There's no point like wasting a week or two on this. Yeah, for sure. That's a really nice stage to get to. And it's also helpful to help other people too because you're thinking about something and someone gives you something they're stuck on. You're like, oh, boom, that's that. And then you're like, hey, I'm working on you know something that's stuck. So anyways, having a community is really, really levels you up too. And also people who can relate to good and bad things about code. Django is very stable, but has a host of new features, many of which I haven't actually used. Carlton can talk about them. So it's important to yeah have community, right? Not just be in your own room with your computer fighting with it. Yeah, yeah. Any trouble or good or bad thing you've had, many, many other people have had, you just have to find them. Unlike the movie stereotypes, it's it's way more social, this coding thing. It Indeed, is. Before, yeah, but before I let Carlton introduce himself, just a quick comment. From the audience to make you feel good a bit from Bishnu says the first book I read on Django was William's book. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I just one last point and then I want Carlton to talk, but I wrote three books, Django for Beginners, APIs, Professionals that first came out in 2018 and 19. And then I've updated all three of them every year since then. So on the one hand, it's been four years. I haven't had a new book, but it's also I've written what? Or you've had 12 new books. 12 new books. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I really have. I really have. It's <laughs> it doesn't feel quite as satisfying, but I know that I have a built-in audience, and I've so it's a, not, a weird dynamic to be in a situation where it's sustainable to maintain and update your stuff. I mean, I'm sure you can relate. You have all these different courses, right? That's the thing that falls off. You do all the effort, you get the course out, and then it goes out of date or it could be made better. But or Pydantic two comes out. Django <laughs> every eight months comes <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. Exactly. So it's um yeah. I try to think of the positive of it. It is. I feel like the book is so much better, but a lay person or family members or friends are like, when's a new book coming out? It's like, I just, I just did it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Carlton. Who are you, Carlton? Welcome. Who are you? Who am I? Um, well, I, my name's Carlton. I, I do a podcast with Will. So basically, I've just stepped down as a Django Fellow. So I've spent the um, last five years being a Django Fellow, which means I was contracted by the Django Software Foundation to help maintain Django itself. And they have a couple of fellows, and I was one of them for that period. And I've stepped down in order to go back to building things with Django rather than working kind of just on Django. It's So it's a kind of, you know, after five years, that's... That was a good time period, and it's time for me to go back to building things with Django. I've been using Django forever, and I've, I'm a maintainer on a lot of projects in the ecosystem. So I've worked on Django REST Framework, Django Filter, Django Crispy Form, Django Compressor, Django AppConf. I'd maintain the channels package. You know, I do quite a lot in that. So your code runs on many, many servers, you should say. More than like I, I like to think about. Like, so one thing, when I was a fellow, we were always, people always give us a bit of grief about how conservative Django is. It's very stable and very, you know, we're very cautious about making break backwards um, incompatible changes. We try not to do that. We've got a solid deprecation policy, got the long-term support policies. And then at DjangoCon last year, somebody called, read out the um, the numbers, the download numbers. And it, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily the most downloaded package, but it's millions, millions of downloads, <laughs> millions of projects that are using it. And you really can't break it. That's always really like humbling and really kind of, yeah, actually all the work we put into making sure that the product is is stable is that's good work. That's important work. Yeah, Threads is using it, Carlton. You're helping out 
Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well... I'll be using a fork of it. We can get into that, but yeah. I was looking at a comment on the forum. I got a a little heart from somebody asked on the Django forum, Can does Django scale or can I run it on lots of systems? And I'm like, well, (laughs) you do know that uh, Instagram was built on it. You know, they're still using that core request response cycle. And, you know, my my comment was, you're not going to serve more traffic than Instagram. So, yes. Threads is built on the, that core request response bit is still essentially Django. Maybe not everyone has, is up on what Threads is. No, not a parallels programming thing, but a, a Twitter clone from Meta and Facebook, right? Apparently so, yes. We have an, an interview, maybe we can put in the show notes with Carl Mayer, who was original core Django developer who then went to Instagram. So he spoke for an hour about, so initially it was just, it was pure Django. And then as they scaled, they did things like they ripped out the ORM and they changed this and that. But there is still a core of it, the, the request response cycle that's in there. That's another interesting thing is Django, when you get to massive, massive size, a lot of companies, you know, they have thousands of engineers, right? We have, we Django has just a community. So as soon as you hop off the, the guardrails, then you're kind of on your own. And that, that's sort of a separate debate on whether it's worth it or not. But you can, you can get quite large. And it's interesting, by contrast, like I believe Shopify is still on Rails. I believe, or seem to have gone much longer. Carlton, yeah, you have something to add? Well, I don't think it's really, I mean, I know Instagram moved away from the ORM, but that was quite a long time ago. If you look at Octopus and Kraken, they're still basically using something that's basically vanilla Django to to do, you know, massive projects. And so, you know, what it was back in, you know, 1.6, 1.7, 1.8, when Instagram were needing to pull away from what Django is, is a lot different from what Django is at 2.23, Four now, four point two. Going to be five. Yeah, yeah. Going to be five. Going to be five. I wonder if they regret that. I wonder, not necessarily. Maybe it was the right choice at the time, but do they kind of wish, like, wish they had access, if nothing else, to fork version five instead of version one point six? I wish they'd. I'd wish there'd been a bit more pushback on Django from thinking about because what what was it that caused them to change? I think the move from it being able to root string names, strings as view names. Like and having to import the view itself, and I think at that point, like for Instagram to rewrite the whole stack, it was it was too much, and in the end, they they kind of forked. But it would have been great if we could have kept them on board. I think yeah, for Instagram, they can they can it's they've got enough engineering chops, but it would have been much nicer for Django if we could have kept them on board. I think. Well, maybe like a quick positive shout out for the whole Meta as a larger organization. They seem to be doing a lot for Python these days. You know, for Python, yeah, really working a lot on. You know, Sam Gross's initiative on NoGill and the Faster Python and Cinder and, you know, all that probably does come out of some of the foundational stuff for Instagram and running Django there. Yeah, and I think Carl May is still involved in very much in pushing Python forwards and, you know, what they're trying to do. So, you know, all QDOTs do them. It's it's very easy to dog on the big corporations so they don't pay enough of it. But it's important to recognize when they do contribute that, yes, actually, that's a good thing. Yeah, there's plenty that need dogging on like a lot, most. We still have support for Oracle in Django, for example. Interesting. But Carlton, deployment, there's something else you're working on. Well, yes. I mean, I um, so I've been, so one thing I wanted to quit and or step down as fellow and get to work on is my button tool, which is a, my simple deployment tool. So it's, uh, it's quite vanilla. It's old school. It uses virtual private server. It uses Ansible. It's all on AWS. And then I'm building UI and tooling on front of that. Slightly delayed because I've had personal, issues that have um, taken me up. I, you know, my plan was sit down in April, get on with it. My son's been ill for a while. So that's, that's just on the back burner. The priority with all of these things is look after yourself. And 
in the situation we've been in, I haven't had time to work on it particularly, but that will be the autumn now. And that's that's kind of, yeah, I've been talking about it for a while, time to actually ship it and have some capacity to ship it. But can we, can we, do, can we give it a, maybe it's different angle of pitch, which is that, so it's built on, so deployment is tricky. We can talk about this, you know, going from local to production is hard. And when, who do you use these days, right? Like there's AWS, there's Azure, there's kind of Google, there still is Heroku, there's new entrants like Fly and some other ones, but what do you really need? Like if you're with Django, you want someone who knows Django, who just like puts a layer on top of someone that's not going away like AWS. And essentially, as I understand it, Button is a Django fellow saying, here's, you have a Django app, you want to put it online. Let me solve all the hard things, do all the hard work for you. And it's a beautiful UI on something that's not going to change. Yeah, here we go to have it. Because all the, it's interesting. I updated my books. I updated away from Heroku to Fly for the new update because Heroku eliminated their free tier. And I personally have really like what um, Fly.io is doing, but it's hard to scale these companies. Like it's not, it's non-trivial to build what they have. And yet if you're AWS, right, all you're going to do is add, 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 add features when big enterprise clients want things. And so at some point it becomes unusable for a solo person or a small startup. So I'm a fan of what Carlton's doing. Yeah, you want something scary? Just go to the AWS console dashboard. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, well, where do I start? What should I use? There should be you enough know, of a thing. I have a Python web app, or I have a hmm. JavaScript, whatever JavaScript people do, like a you know a Rails app. Like, I just want to get it up and have it not break. But this came. So this the idea for Button came out of exactly those those kind of thoughts. Was um, Every week on Django Chat, we'd have someone come on and deployment would always come up and it would be like some elaborate story about what they're doing. And it's like, well, actually, if you keep it simple and keep it neat, first of all, here's how I deploy and here's how I get my clients to deploy it. And this is how I deploy many projects over many years and it's continually evolving. And then on the other hand, it, when you go to the AWS console, though, it's like this, this ah, too much. You don't need 58 services and every configuration option under the bun, uh, under the button, but it, un, under the under the sun. But it's nice to be able to break out of that. You know, if you do need to scale or you do need to do it. So anyway, this is my you know project. If if it wasn't for life circumstances, I'd be slightly further along. But it's going to be the fall now. It's going to be you know the shit. It's coming on nicely, and the idea is simple. A simple approach and with a nice UI on top of it that you can use. Well, you definitely have our wishes your son to get well soon so that's rough yeah that's it's rough when your kid is sick it's been a yeah it's been a, a full-on year it's been ill over a year now and it's it's just ongoing and so you know that was another part of why i stepped down this fellow i needed to take a bit of a, a bit of time just for the family absolutely i think back to button for a second btn.dev by the way you can sign up for the mailing list or the or the alpha is available too so nice i'm constantly trying to push carlton stuff because he always downplays everything he's doing i'm like come on man yeah but i've got that natural developer shyness i would i have to wait i have to polish it and wait till and it's he's perfect british, and then launch so, it and then yeah. yeah and i'm british so i'm nice and reserved and you know, anyway michael you're gonna make a question it's exciting and we were just talking about it. we were just hyping people up about it how it's cool to have these huge deployments running tons of traffic doing all sorts of amazing things with like, yeah, we scaled our server. So we went from 500 to 300 with this trick. Yes, that's a cool thing that pushes the envelope that makes a lot of stuff possible with frameworks like Django and uh, language like Python. But on the other hand, most of us are not Instagram, you're not Microsoft, you're not Google, you're not all these. And having, or let's say you're not Netflix. I actually think that like what AWS console looks like has a lot to do with how Netflix works, probably given how early adopters they were. But I, I just 
think it's worth emphasizing. Push button, get it running on a simple server, make it secure, keep it up, you know, zero downtime deploy type stuff, CI, CD, a push show brand, all, all those types of things. That's more than enough for most people, not just on your hobby projects, but on company business. Does your website get a thousand visitors a day? It doesn't need five servers with a failover and Kubernetes clusters and sharded databases. And like, it just doesn't, right? And so yeah, yeah. having that option, something like Button, it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, as you speak there, you're just singing to the choir for me. It's like, <laughs> you know, you can get a small box, get a slightly bigger box if you need to. Get a slightly bigger box than that. You can go get quite, an, you can get an awful lot of box for not very much money. Yeah, and go then next and spend maybe $10. What, two boxes. Yeah, 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 exactly. But this, the kind of architecture I go for, you can scale to a very big site. And I know in recent years, Stack Overflow moved to a you know much more modern and fancy thing. But for a long, 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 long time, they were running on the same kind of big database, couple of front-end web servers, a load balancer, and nothing more than that. And you're not going to serve more traffic than Stack Overflow ever. Like nobody, not nobody, but basically nobody's going to serve more traffic than that. So that's where I'm coming from. And it's not for everybody. And there's lots of people who've got opinions, but it's for people who haven't got an opinion. It's like, if you don't know, if you don't know how to deploy and you don't really have, uh, if you're not already in the game, then, well, this is how I do it. And you can choose to do it the same way or sure. I'm really excited about it. And I have been talking about it for a long time and not having the capacity to, to work on it. And now I bar family situation, I have that capacity. And so I'm looking forward to getting it out. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Sentry. You know that Sentry captures the errors that would otherwise go unnoticed. Of course, they have incredible support for basically any Python framework. They have direct integrations with Flask, Django, FastAPI, and even things like AWS Lambda and Celery. But did you know they also have native integrations with mobile app frameworks? Whether you're building an Android or iOS app or both, you can gain complete visibility into your application's correctness, both on the mobile side and server side. We just completely rewrote TalkPython's mobile apps for taking our courses, and we massively benefited from having Sentry integration right from the start. We used Flutter for our native mobile framework, and with Sentry, it was literally just two lines of code to start capturing errors as soon as they happen. Of course, we don't love errors, but we do love making our users happy. Solving problems as soon as possible with Sentry on the mobile Flutter code and the Python server-side code together made understanding error reports a breeze. So whether you're building Python server-side apps or mobile apps or both, give Sentry a try to get a complete view of your app's correctness. Thank you to Sentry for sponsoring the show and helping us ship more reliable mobile apps to all of you. Well, I think it's more broadly, one of the things we're going to talk about is HTMX. And I think there is this these more iterative tools. You know, You don't need to jump to React. If you just want a little thing, like you don't need to go Kubernetes. I heard backend dev was done. It's just all APIs now. Come on. It's all front end. I, I, I um, put a toot up the other day that the, you know, the, the <laughs> convinced me otherwise uh, meme where it said Django is a front end framework. I'm busy writing an application. I'm using HTMX. I'm using Alpine. I'm using Tailwind. Yeah, I'm yeah, doing yeah, it yeah, all yeah. in Django. I'm doing it all in Django templates. And it's like, you know, I'm hardly doing any of the exciting back end stuff that we love Django for. It's all front end. And it's just vanilla Django. It is. That's a thing that people who are learning, they, they're full stack developer and they're like, APIs, I got to do it all. And I mean, you must have this, Michael, with people, your, your students, but I have this a lot of times. People who are new say, oh, I want 
this and that functionality. And I'm often like, don't go to APIs unless you need to, because if you're a professional Django developer on a team of more than 10 people, yeah, you're going to write APIs because they were, there will be front-end people who just do front-end. But when it's just you... And even if there's not front-end, there might be a mobile app. That's our primary case of APIs. Or yeah. you might have a public API for users or other companies to work with. It doesn't have to be that you're not doing server-side. But for a solo person or a, or a small thing, like don't just leap to it because it adds so much complexity. Now, you use, do you use Tornado or use an older Python thing? Pyramid, okay. I've considered switching to something like Fast API or something like that, but then I look and I'm like, you know, it's it's like a real thin layer over just what would be the same anyway, and scalability is, is totally good. It's, I mean, it works. It works too. It'll run for months without me touching it. Like the chances the website go down, and it's not my fault because I deployed something is almost zero. Like really, really, really close to zero. Either that or something's gone wrong in the data center. But like the website itself. And so, yeah, it's, I chose that eight years ago and I'm, I'm still cruising with it. It's great. I um, had a client ask me about HI, HA, sorry, high availability one time. They were like, oh, don't we need multiple servers and multiple this and that? And I'm like, well, how many nines do we need? <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember the exact number now off the top of my head, but the, you're already at three nines, even just deploying on the kind of worst setup in the world. Cause it, you, the number of the amount of downtime you'll have will be sub few minutes because and it will be exactly that you deployed something wrong and then you revert it yeah exactly like oh my gosh quick but we have i think people necessarily don't fully appreciate how much really high-end technology for so little money we have accessible to us with these cloud providers right we have the the best data centers in the world for ten dollars right you know what i mean it's not like well these people, like you have the same thing that Netflix is using and for a while they're doing a third of the traffic of the internet. <laughs> yes, yeah, 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 exactly. So three nines gives you nine hours off a year and you you won't even have nine hours off a year. Like, Yeah, that's just highly unlikely, to, yeah. You know, if something goes down and you don't fix it, but like it's literally if you deploy, you fix it quickly. You, but you get that kind of uptime without having to have multiple availability zones and boiler failover and all the things that, you know, they like to sell you. Yeah. And yet getting to that point for, for people who are new, just the act of local versus production database stops people, like every single person, right? They build the site, like it's a blog, and then they deploy it and they're like, where's my blog? And it's like, oh, well, that database is different than this database. Like, you know, after a while I get used to the idea, but it's like the code is there. Why isn't the data there? Right. And then so it's just this scale of up to how many nines do you need? But most people are focused on just put something up online and add continuous integration. Like, I mean, really, the, what are the basics? But they're not basic when you're doing it the first couple of times. No, they're not basic. They're not basic at all. So having something that kind of automates that. I think another thing is, you know, you have different team members or if you're an individual developer, maybe getting something up on the web. I, I know people I've spoken to about how daunting it is. Going from got zero web apps published to one is a major challenge, right? They're like, I don't know Linux. I don't know the terminal. I don't do SSH. I don't understand the security. I don't understand the best practices. Like, I just can't, you know? Well, and that's some, something I emphasize in my books is getting something as fast as possible. It was a little bit smoother with Heroku than Fly, but Fly is still pretty. Like, I take some shortcuts, but I, tell, I say they're shortcuts. You know, this isn't the most secure thing ever, but just getting something up that first time because it doesn't have to be crazy complicated. And I think the sooner you're dealing with a real live website, the better for many reasons. But yeah, that first that first one. You know, you've spent all this time building your application, you're finally ready to, you know, put it online. And then it's like, oh, learn about servers and learn about firewalls and learn about rewrite rules and learn about permissions and groups and users and uh, 
cash in. Yeah. Well, I just say Django has a deployment checklist to help with this, but I still think, and others may agree with me in the community, that the local to production gap is a big one that Django could do things to address. For example, like it, everything defaults to local setup. The deployment checklist, yes, yeah, a great resource. Um, I spend a lot of time in my books covering this if you want. You know, handholding. Oh, and it's not just a checklist on the like on the web that you look at. You can run manage.py dash you know space check dash dash. Yeah, it's a management deploy. command, and there's a whole. I guess would be the I think how many the, like twelve or something now. Sort of the like really don't launch it without this. These aren't even optimizations. This is like just don't leak secrets everywhere. Yeah. But still, for Django, and I think for a lot of places, there's a tension right between how friendly you are to beginners versus advanced users. And I think Django overall has done a very good job of still being friendly to beginners, but every most Technologies over time, you know, move towards where the hardcore users are because that's who's kind of doing this stuff. So that's a attention Django feels, Python, others. You know, how do you still keep it beginner friendly, but the people who are in charge want different things often? That's a real tension in programming and, and frameworks and all sorts of things. And I also think that that's why Python is so popular, honestly, right? You can do C, you can do Rust. Like these are really great for advanced people. You can do, you know, VB6 or super simple old school things that are great, easy for beginners. But like Python is easy for beginners, but you can kind of bring in the more advanced stuff. You can bring in async, you can bring in generators, you can bring in ORMs, but you don't have to. Where a lot of a lot of languages are like, guess what? We're going to start with a void voice, uh, void star star. We're going to go from there, you know? Well, the old saying was second best for everything. And I think yeah. that's not, you know, I think it's first best in a number of places now too. I agree. I think people say that, but I think honestly... It's really, if it's not the first best, it is on par with the other first best, right? It is a front-running contender for a thing where I would say it probably is, you know, the undisputed king is in data science and machine learning. Yeah, all the libraries. There's not a competitor out there that is not near near the level of depth in the ecosystem. Well, because there's R and R doesn't have open source in the community that Python does. Yeah. That seems to be, I mean, most like here in, here in Boston, a lot of, friends or scientists and it's either R or Python and they all kind of want to use Python, but sometimes they use R, mm. but Python just can do more things. So depending on what you need. The next episode I'm going to release, which I've already recorded, but I haven't released. So you all don't know about it necessarily is Shining for Python, which is pretty interesting. Like that's the R web story coming to Python, which I think is just more cool stuff you can do in Python, honestly. Actually, I need to check the, the Python version of that because one of the we just had DjangoCon Europe earlier this year, and one of the people who came up to me is someone who worked for the, what do you say, the UK government on their putting systems together. And he had bought my books to get his team to move away. Maybe started with double O or something or other. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that cool. You just COVID information, you know, health stuff, NH, NHIS. Is that, is that, yeah, National Health, NHS? NHS, I think. They were able, so he had said, though, that they were able to use R and use the what is it called, the Webby, to put things online. But for interactivity, they that's where they hit problems. So he and his team of 12 had moved a lot of stuff over to Django for the just more interactivity of it all. But this is, you know, something the British government was doing. To So I'm yeah, it's an area I want to learn more about, you know, Shiny and how all that works, because it's always been like, why can't you just take a Jupyter notebook and put it online? I mean, you right, like often put it online. So I'm trying to understand that, too, because I, the data science space is so big in the web space feels small in comparison. But yeah, I look forward to that episode. My quick takeaway talking to Joe there was they really thought about how to make it 
the Pythonic way. And it seems like they've really embraced it, not just, well, we'll get it to run on Python, but it seems like it's going to be a good option for people out there. So that, that's really cool. I want to make sure that we talk about some of the, the history of Django and the future of Django. But I know something that all three of us are, are super excited about is HTMX. So let's, and we were talking about the front end stuff and the back end. And so I, I don't typically share jokes on Talk Python that much. It's more Python bites the show at the end there, but there's this great meme and it has the backend dev and it has HTMX, two people and the HTMX one speaking to the backend dev says, look at me, look at me. HTMX is talking to you. This is full stack now. You're full stack now. Come on. You're, you're not just a, a backend developer. You're full stack because you're doing HTMX. And I think, you know, it's funny. Also the the thing called X that is kind of Twitter and half X and partially branded, That that is a whole different joke. But uh I think just this this joke up here, it really touches on on something that I think makes Django, makes Blast, make all the Python web frameworks way more holistic and important back coming back to build these apps, right? It's not just like, well, we have to use React, so we're gonna push you to just write JSON endpoints and and so on and so on. And like, no, you could actually flip that and just embrace Python more with HTMX. Who, who wants to start riffing on HTMX and Django? Carlton, you go ahead. This is more of your... No, but it's exactly that. So, I mean, two years ago, three years ago, it was all like, oh, Python's existential threat because the, everything's going to be rewritten in JavaScript because, you know, everything on the front end is JavaScript. And so it doesn't make sense having these two languages. So it's all going to just swip over and Python's going to disappear in a puff of JavaScript. Well, now it's kind of like, well, really? Is that is that what I see happening? Not, no, what I see is the super established, mature web frameworks showing the real strength of the the HTML tooling and the, the hypermedia tooling that they've, you know, it, 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 it's just so fully developed. I mean, Django's 18 years old this summer, right? So there's a lot of history there. There's a lot of development time gone in. There's a lot of richness. And once you start using HTMX, it really is. It's like, oh, do you know what? This just fits the patterns that Django wants you to use. You know, it, it like the, it works with Django Forms, and you just you know, oh look, it's just a form view, and it's just all I do is add this little header in, and oh look, I change the template maybe, and oh look, it's it's a, a fully interactive, rich client that that users can't tell the difference between that and a, a full SBA built with React, or perhaps they can because it loads quicker, because it's not, it's actually faster. And one of the great reasons for switching to SBAs was they were meant to be quicker. But the reality is after all these years, they're loading so much JavaScript into the page and doing so much work in the browser in order to get the, the, the HTML to be interactive that in fact, they feel slower to the user. So for people who don't know, HTMX lets you put attributes on HTML, not complicated stuff. Like if you had an image, you could say hx-get give it a URL, and you could say hx-target is some other thing. So if you click on that image, it'll go, in this context, talk to Django, pull back a fragment of HTML and plop it with possible animations and transitions and stuff into another section for like a master detail, like list details, view story. And it's just as nice as most single page app, most front end frameworks. It, I suppose if the thing completely loaded all the different data and had zero server interaction, but then the the startup time of that would be completely bad, like you said, Carlton. So it's fantastic. And let's go back to like the, the beginner and the people doing simple stuff. HTMX is not just for beginners, but it really works well for them because they no longer have to learn a different framework or never different language and a framework like JavaScript and Vue. They don't have to write APIs. They just do the thing they're doing and all of a sudden 
all this cool interactivity comes in, right? Yeah. And like for a decade, it hasn't felt to me, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years in the business. I've, I know how to do quite a lot, but for a decade or so, it hasn't felt to me feasible to be building web, good, high quality, professional quality web applications single-handed. But it feels like that again. It feels like, do you know what? I don't need a whole team here. And with interest rates going up and inflation going up, you know, money being tight now, I honestly think that there is a, com- a real big commercial competitive advantage coming back to sort of the, the back end. And that's not just Django, but Jan- Django and Flask and, the, you know, Rails even if you want a different language. But those kind of um, stacks where you can produce a really competent CRUD back end in very little time and then you can produce the front end that's rich enough and feels good and feels developed for a fraction of the team size, one, two developers instead of five, 10 developers. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by us over at Talk Python Training. Let me tell you about one of our really popular courses. HTMX plus Flask, modern Python web apps hold the JavaScript. HTMX is one of the hottest properties in web development today, and for good reason. You might even remember all the stuff we talked about with Carson Gross back on episode 321. HTMX, along with the libraries and techniques we introduce in our new course, will have you writing the best Python web apps you've ever written. Clean, fast, and interactive, all without that front-end overhead. If you're a Python web developer that has wanted to build more dynamic, interactive apps, but don't want to or can't write a significant portion of your app in rich front-end JavaScript frameworks, you'll absolutely love HTMX. Check it out over at talkpython.fm slash HTMX, or just click the link in your podcast player show notes. I think it also speaks to the, the wisdom, I would say, of, so Django has a templating language, but it's deliberately basic. You can use Jinja, and Django, by design, because 18 years ago, the idea was, well, we're not a front-end framework. Who knows what's going to happen? And that provides the opportunity for HTMX comes along, just slide it right in. Like Django is not, doesn't have all this stuff built on top of it, trying to do that too. So that can be a frustration for beginners that why doesn't, why don't the templates do more? They actually do a lot, but it opens it up to HTMX. And then there's, you know, Django has third-party package systems. So there's one that Adam Johnson, who's a member of the community, has Django HTMX that has extensions. Like basically everything you want to do, you can kind of copy and paste it in. I mean, understand what you're doing, but so this, yeah, Django HTMX is a great resource. But it's not, it's not rocket science. It's, it's not, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel, right? You have a list view, detail view. You want to do auto scroll. You want to do some validation on a form. It's the same solve problems out there. You just have to know you where to go look. quite far with it. Yeah. That would be an interesting question of where do you really need to not use it? I mean, certainly even in a team setting, like it's just such less complexity and it's arguably faster and it gets you what you need. Where do you not use it? So I'm building a, a quite rich drag and drop it interface um, for a tool. It's pretty complex. It's pretty interactive. And I'm using Alpine to do that on the page. And then, but when it comes back to the server request, then dropping back to HTMX to, to, to send the things and get a chunk back. And I can quite often replace either a part or all of the Alpine component with the, with the stuff from the, from the um, HTMX. So it's so still using rich JavaScript in the client where you need it. But you go an awful long way when you before you need that, you know, and you're dropping in forms and you've, you've got a nested list view and you're dropping, you're fetching that nested list view and dropping that in place. And that's in a modal, which is perhaps powered by Alpine. And it looks rich and smooth and it's, it's everything you want, but it, 
the amount of code is very minimal. It's progressive too, right? I mean, Vue.js, when it first came on the scene, it, I forget if it's still doing this, but like its whole thing was the progressive, you know, you don't, you don't need the full React bundle. You can kind of ramp your way in. And so I think there's just more ways to get from here to there. And you don't have to just go to APIs and the full-blown thing. I have, have to admit, last week, I was, or perhaps the week before, I was sitting there going, I was doing everything at HTMX, and I was like, I need a full page load here. I need it to refresh the whole page. How do I do that? How do I do that? And I had to step away, go and get a coffee. And as I was boiling the kettle, I was like, oh, I could just submit the form normally. <laughs> <We'd> just, <laughs> I'll fall back to just doing what the browser does by default. Oh, yeah, okay. You just always have to think, if it's getting clever, like you're missing something. Yeah, yeah, no, it was exactly that. It's like I, I was so in the zone that I'd forgotten the base technology I was using. <laughs> I did a talk at PyBay Food Cart Edition a couple of years ago, and I was talking about it on on X, Twitter, whatever that thing. We're going to have to figure this out. Until that, thing's, that thing might be gone pretty soon, but we'll see. Anyway, I was talking about it and I said, look, you can write these awesome web apps with Python. You don't have to use JavaScript. And somebody's like, Michael, that's really insensitive. People, you're, you shouldn't be degrading the JavaScript developers. And talk. I'm like, that's not the message. It's the message that the language you choose, whatever it is, you can just embrace that and do a lot more. And like the biggest example of that is that this is a popular framework in the Node community. Right, which is JavaScript, right? And the, the big value here is that you don't have to also have APIs. You don't have to also have a front end and a back end framework in the context, right? Like you guys probably know is when teaching and help people deploy stuff, it's like, well, there's what your front end can do. And then there's the, the security of the browser and there's all the constraints of that. And then your back end server, oh, it can talk to the database directly and it could do these other things. But with HTMX, like your front end code executes in the same context as your back end code. So you don't have to have like two security models, two runtime models, two all these two conceptual ways of like, well, what's okay, it's happening here. So that means this. Like, no, it like all happens in one place. And that's even valuable if you were doing Node and JavaScript. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's a, on the HTMX website, there's an awesome essay. Uh, it could be the intercooler, but it talks about this impedance between the two sides. And the example it gives is um, GraphQL, I think. And the GraphQL gives amazing power onto the front end and you construct all these queries, but are they safe and are they, who knows? And what companies end up, often end up doing is whitelisting the query. So it's in fact, you can't leverage the full expressive GraphQL in the client because it's only a certain number of queries which are allowed in order to get over this security problem. Those essays there are just phenomenal. We should mention, so Carlton's given two talks this year, one of them at um, DjangoCon Europe. He touches upon the locality of behavior. I just put in the show notes for you, Michael. It's one of the essays, but it, some of his projects, I saw everyone around me was writing down, perhaps you want to expound on that idea, Carlton, because it's not necessarily a new idea, but it really seemed to resonate at DjangoCon with people. The talk was called Yak Shaving to where the puck's going to be. And it was about, it's just been about what I've been doing since I stepped down as a fellow in end of March. So April, I sat down to start writing software with Django again, rather than on Django, as I said at the beginning. And the sort of the hook that I built the whole talk around was HTMX and this idea of locality behavior. And so the, the example that I gave in the talk, and which is from the that essay there, is HTMX has got just the, the the one HTML file open versus a jQuery example, which is very similar, but it's over two files. And you know, if you just, it's not the only consideration, but in that one case, you've got one file open versus two files open. Well, there's better locality of behavior where you've got one file open, and that. That really, when I read that essay, it really like struck a bell with me. For years, I've been talking to clients about this and like you've got a form, a Django form, and it's perhaps only got 
four lines or three lines. It's, it's virtually nothing. And it'll be off on its own in a separate forms.py file rather than next to the view you're working on. And so you have to go and open that second forms.py file to see the form. And it's, oh, it just declares the fields and that's all it does. And then you go back to the view and you have to kind of remember it. Whereas if you just move that form kind of next to the view, all of a sudden it's all within one screen on your, on your editor and you've, it's much easier to understand. And then your, kind of, your, your speed of development increases. And the more I've been playing with this, the more I've used this, it's just like, yeah, actually, I'm able to, I'm able to work much faster by focus, particularly of a new code. Like when your code starts to get bigger and more gnarly and more curly and there's more bits to it, then okay, you want to break it out so that it, maintain, it remains maintainable. But when you're first working on it and there isn't much of it and it's constantly in flux, keeping it all together, it just helps you go faster. It's uh, this idea of locality of behavior. It's 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 phenomenal. I, I'm I'm a, just a massive fan of it. Yeah, it's it's really a brilliant framework. And so for Django people, Django dash HTMX. That's where the magic is to get it in, easily integrated. Yeah. So that's a the basics of that is a middleware which will um, add a few an HTMX attribute to the request object, which lets you query it. So is this an HTMX request? Has it got this header? Is it wanting to redirect? Is it wanting to do a full page refresh? Is it got you know the various headers that HTMX sends that will bear those and a few other niceties as well. But yeah, you, you may as well use that. That's a good package from Adam, who's a, one of the cool. Adam knows what he's talking about. Nice. All right. Django, 18, 18 years old. Yes. Amazingly. Amazingly. It's old enough to vote. Yeah, old enough to vote. Yeah. <laughs> it is old enough to vote. Not to drink yet, so it's not going to get into trouble on the server for a few more years. It is on its holiday in Europe. Yeah, okay. Well, that's true. Yes, okay. In Europe, it actually, it, it totally is. I remember when we lived there, my daughters were 16 and we took them out for their 16th birthday. So yeah. Yeah, but in the US, we have these rules, you know. Two things. So Django has major releases update every eight months. So 4.2 came out in April, 5.0 come out in December. In between, there's 4.2.1, 4.2.2. This is all the work the fellows, Carlton, would do. But there's also, so in the Django News newsletter, there is almost every day, there is a new PR accepted and merged into Django. So on the Django News newsletter, one of the things we have now is a section highlighting like the changes this week. And I think last week, there were 18 new PRs. And that's not just someone opening it up. That's like open, discussed, accepted, reviewed. Like there's so much activity going on. So even as it's 18 years old and it is mature, there is still just so much happening. And I think that's one of the messages Carlton and I try to get to people is like, it's not just this static thing at all. There's so much that's happening and yet it won't break on you, unlike some other newer technologies. <laughs> I mean, this one, talk about the influx of tickets. Just um, while, why does Django need fellows? The reason it needs fellows is because there's basically five new tickets every single day. There's over a thousand new tickets a year, you know, 1,200 new tickets a year, every year. And they keep getting handled. They keep getting dealt with the prs keep getting merged the, the security releases keep coming and without the fellows it just wouldn't have happened django would have sort of just ground into an ever bigger ball of unanswered tickets unresponded you know things and so without it's it's a project of such a size that without the paid role it just wouldn't be maintainable some of these do get resolved i mean how long was lily's one on database constraints that was 13 years, 12, 13 years? Yeah, tell that story. This is one of my favorite features of Django 5.0 that's come out. So we haven't even talked about Django 4.2, but Django 5.0 is coming out soon. And in there, so there's some really big ones. There's database defaults. So in you've always, on a model field, you've always been able to declare a, a default value. So, you know, if there isn't one, give it date, a date time field, give it now if, as a you know classic default. But they, those are, from 5.0, you'll be able to declare those as database defaults, which 
you may not seem sound like much, but A, it's quicker, it's moving work into the database, but B, not every connection to your database goes via your Django application. So you're able to have database level default. And so if, if there is a script which isn't using the Django ORM, then you still get the value of that. And that ties in with work that's been done on constraints with database constraints have, have been massively powered up and they'll even now, you know, your form generation will generate validators that are based on the database constraints. And it's ah, just so much richness coming on. I think, I really think we're also going to get database cascades in Django 5.0. It's so, it's nearly ready. There's a month or so before the feature freeze. I think it's going to go in, in which case we're going to have DB defaults and DB level cascades, both, you know, added to Django, both of those, it's a decade or more in the resolving in a new release. And that's, it's just, oh, wow, that's really exciting. Yeah, for a lot of people, a lot of companies, the database is the source of truth for the apps, right? And like, sure, your code may talk to it, but what is in the database? Like there are people whose job it is to defend the schema. They call them DBAs, right? <laughs> so date Django 4.2 added DB comments. So you could add schema level comments to your model fields to explain the use of the model field. Again, it's for those scenarios, yeah. For people who are serious about their databases, that these features are just massively important. Yeah, I think it's certainly worth considering that there will be other apps, there will be other tools, and maybe even data science, right? The data science angle is huge often wants to now talk to the database. And even if it's in Python, it's unlikely that in Jupyter, you're going to pull in your ORM, you're probably you know, using some other data science oriented library to, to talk to that. And so pushing those defaults down is, is valuable. Well, so Michael, you're as situated as anyone to answer this. Carlton and I are in the Django world, but how do we bridge the data science to web? Doesn't need to be Django world. Like what do they need to be on the web? And if so, like what's holding them back? Because it just feels like this mega megaton star of data science in this tiny little web thing. But it's like, how do they share stuff? How do they interact with it? Yeah, you've got your notebook and then you want to publish it somewhere, right? Like, Yeah, or just share share your information or you have a database of COVID things, for example, in the UK you want to put online, but let people make change in some way or make requests. I mean, the data isn't generally static. So I think there's two answers from my perspective. I think there's there are the frameworks that are, are doing that. And that would be things like Streamlit Dash, not Dashly, but the other dashboarding one. There's panel, street, uh, did I say stream? I'll probably start with that one, right? So those kind of things where you can get like kind of a, a simplified view that's kind of an interactive thing. You wouldn't look at it like we're looking at this Django site and go, yeah, it looks like, it feels like this, right? It doesn't feel like that. It feels like you pushed a kind of a interactive generic UI up. But I think that's a pretty good answer for a lot of people. I think another is honestly H, the stuff with HTMX, right? You need a lot of interactivity in, in many of these things, these data screens, and like to get that interactivity often. But you also need it to remember, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, you need it to remember, I, we computed this stuff, and now I want it to like get me the other info. And you kind of need, a, just because how long it takes to do a lot of the computation, you want a somewhat stateful type of behavior. And I think HTMX with Plotly or something like that, or even Matplotlib, I, I've done some Matplotlib stuff and just like returned it as an image in different areas. And yeah, what do you, Carlton, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm nodding it. That's a good approach because, you know, you can quite easily put in a little loading indicator there and it'll, when the HTML is ready and just, even if it took the same amount of time, by just putting in that little animation while it loads, it feels as if it's responsive and doing something and it's, it's not rocket science, but little HX dash indicator. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I was nodding particularly when you said just use matplotlib and pull it in as an image. It's like, yeah, that work, that goes an awful long way doing that kind of thing. I wasn't familiar with Streamlit. That's really cool. I mean, it makes sense. I'm like, there's got to be someone, some people doing this, solving this problem. But yeah, Streamlit is really, really interesting. Basically, you put deck, you have like a regular script that's not even a web thing and you put decorators onto the functions and it says, oh, this parameter here is going to be a, a combo box or something. And it knows how to like, wire the it's some voodoo but it's cool but it does look like a streamlet app right it doesn't look like well here's my own custom website it's like well here's my streamlet app that i built for you right so right but i mean and yet you know many people are using tailwind now and so every site looks like a tailwind site and before it was bootstrap and before you know so it's like we can't get too high on our horse about it you know because at the end of the day no, no, it's no, like no, it just no. needs to look modern-ish and like move on yeah absolutely absolutely and, and getting something out is super important okay so Django is, I would say it is the oldest popular Python web framework, period, right? I, there may have been ones before, but it certainly seems to be, of the few that are like really, really popular, the one that's been around the longest. What's amazing for me about it is the, the way the community kind of keeps refreshing itself. Like, it's not like the founders of Django are still merging every commit and every PR far from it. They, you know, <laughs> I think Simon Willison made a commit in either 4.1 or 4.2, I can't remember. It was his first one for six years kind of thing. He you doesn't know, he even live in Lawrence anymore. I mean, come <laughs> on. None of them yeah, do. Right, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What, what right has he got? To but the point being is that, that it was set up deliberately to like hand it on and let it go. And it's, I think Django's probably on its fourth or even fifth cohort of generation of kind of maintainers now and yeah that's there's a whole fresh batch of, of faces in the community who are doing new and exciting things and it's just so wonderful to see because you get old and long in the tooth and you think oh i'm worried about the future of django no django's doing great actually at DjangoCon, we talk about django things and one of the things we don't necessarily describe to others is what makes django different than other what other frameworks out there and it is the community you know i mean like flask is an amazing resource and David Lord and people do great work, but there, there's no flask cons. There's no, it, it's its own thing. But Django is relatively unique in that it has, it's a nonprofit. It has fellows, it has conferences, it has this whole ecosystem of third-party packages. You know, so there's the saying, you know, come for the framework, stay for the community. It really is true, but you can't get that across to someone who just looks at the Django website, which looks like what it is, which it hasn't been redone in a number of years, right? You think, oh, maybe it's a little bit of a stale, crusty Python thing. It's like, no, it's it's alive. There's changes every day. You're just not seeing it. And it's hard to, you're HTMX, right? Like Carson does amazing work, but I think it's pretty much just him, right? It's not this community of dozens and dozens of people. And so one of the exciting things for Carlton and me is we're both transitioning away a little bit, but still helping bring in new people. And that's healthy, right? Like we know a bit, but sometimes I get you know, I know the the things that kind of I would like to change that may not change as quickly. And then new people have great ideas and enthusiasm. And it's like, yes, let me support you because I don't want to get stale with this. Pradivan asks a pretty good question, which I think is a good question for any really large project that's been around a long time. It's like, how do you get more involved with Django? For someone who's not proficient in Django, like super, super proficient, given that it's a mature project, it's really hard to get that first PR written one thing that often comes up oh there's no easy there's no low-hanging fruit it's a mature framework there's nothing easy to do and it's like well yes and no yes and no there are very few like nothing fixes you know that it, an absolute beginner can just come in and get because they get snapped up really quickly and they, they just don't hang around for very long but we've got something like 800 open accepted tickets on django now of those 800 tickets 
some of them are truly hard, like adding database defaults, which took a dozen years and five DjangoCon sprints and you know who knows what to, to actually get over the line. That's truly hard. But most of the tickets aren't like that. Most of the tickets are no harder than a problem that you're solving in your everyday Django or Python programming work. And what they need is time and love. And so at Django cons, I've run Django sprints, I've run a kind of getting contributed workshop. And the goal of it, you've only got a couple of hours, it's only like half a morning. And the goal is not to necessarily get your PR in, but it's just to get you to look at a ticket in a bit of depth, get set up with the test suite, you know, install it, get set up, but get involved in a ticket and come to understand that ticket and realize that actually after that, a couple of hours of thinking about that ticket, you are literally the world expert on that that ticket. And even though you're not like, oh, it's established, I'm not a Django fellow, I'm not an established contributor, you, you as the world expert on that ticket, you have an, a valid opinion and your insight will be valuable. And yes, you have to dig around and you have to learn some source code, and but you'll have an idea and it's going to be on the right track. And if you put the time and work and love in, you'll be able to resolve that ticket. And once people have had that experience, then it's like, oh, I can do another one and I can do another one. And, I can, and it can become the little side hobby. And actually then I'm a Django contributor. So it's take your time, pick a ticket, really focus on it, become the world expert. And in so doing, even if you don't resolve the ticket, you will learn an awful lot about Django. You think you know Django by developing Django apps all day. Well, you start digging around in the code, I'll guarantee you'll know it a lot better afterwards. So that would be what I say is find a ticket that grabs you and just take that little bit of time to really understand it. Yeah, that's great advice. I guess there's probably sprints you could drop into at some conferences. Yeah. So after the Django cons, there's, there's two days of sprints. Stay around. There's a really great opportunity to meet people who are contributing and to get into contributing and, how, and be able to sit in the same room as somebody and say, well, how, you know, how do I get started? How, you know, that is a good, a good play. But can you, I just sit there and be, look over your shoulder as you two work on this? And yes, let me be. Part that was of it, yeah. the most recent DjangoCon. So there's DjangoCon US, DjangoCon Europe. There's going to be a DjangoCon Africa this year for the first time. But the most recent DjangoCon US, I was at a sprint talking with um, David Lord, who's the lead maintainer on Flask. And he had a question about something or other. And someone was like, oh, like Simon Wilson knows about that. So I was like, oh, grab Simon over. And they'd never met. And now it's like, oh, like, so if you can stay for the sprints, it seems like the nothing part, it's actually, I'd almost take the sprints over the conference if you could, because it's literally just like anyone you want to talk to and you don't have to, you know, like, what are you working on? Or yeah, they're like the best part, but it's, it, maybe it seems intimidating, but it's really not. And to Carlton's point, the community really is welcoming. So even if, especially if you're inexperienced, if you're making an effort and people can see that they will be encouraging and want to loop you in. There's also, I should mention, there's a new put a link program called Django Knot that's trying to pilot having some mentors to give this kind of hands-on help a little bit. That's a new program. It's only, I think, six people right now, but there's they're trying to foster more mentoring of this type. But it is a challenge for a mature framework, right? You probably can't just go fix HTML. It's probably a little more meaty, but it's not all hard just because it's there. It's just that it got stuck for whatever reason. It needs, as Carlton said, that oomph of someone to come in and put a couple hours and then be the world expert. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So... What's the async story, Django, these days? How's it looking? It's looking really good. So, in my, so do we get to talk about 4.2? Yes, Django 4.2 brought in um, async support for streaming responses. So, within the core framework itself, you can do service sent events, or you know, you can you can have a request come in, you can keep it open without blocking the worker, and you can you know periodically send messages down. That's really quite exciting in 4.2, and with 
the other thing that came in 4.2 was um, PsychoPG3, which allows async database connectors um, connections. And so there's a link in the show notes there of somebody put together exactly what I was hoping for, which was the chat, the chat example, but done 100% async. So without block the blocking ORM call with the server sent event, so instead of long polling or without having to use a, an add-on like channels, which you know add-on ch- channels is great if you need it, but isn't it cool that you can do server sent events? just in Django. And then in 5.0, which is coming, we're going to have HTTP disconnect handling in. So those long lived requests, if the client disconnects, you'll get a can- an async IO cancel there in your, in your view, and you'll be able to respond to it and do any cleanup. We've also in 5.0, we're going to have async signals, which gives you a hundred percent async request response pathway if you want it. Cause before the sig, the, the only blocking bit there was the signals, which was sync. So you still had to do this sync to as- async. Oh, sorry, sync to async, jump into a thread pool to dispatch the signals. But that, if you've got async signal handles, will all be async as well. So the entire request response flow can be async. And then um, sessions is going to be async async in 5.0 as well. Auth is going to be async as, as well in 5.0. So those, that, those kind of core flows are, this is on top of the async interface to the ORM, which was added. You know, it's all fleshing out. And there's, you know, there's a few decorators, which, you know, aren't yet done, but they'll be done over the next re- few releases. It's really enriched. And it's like, yes, yes, five, six years, seven years of work has gone into this and it's really maturing nicely. So AC- I think async in Django is very, uh, a very exciting time. So when people say, I want a fast, yeah, fast API, right? That's always the thing. Well, why not just use fast API? Well, well, no, if you want to use fast API, go use fast API. But if you're using Django, but you need a couple of these endpoints, which you need higher throughput or, you know, what, or an, uh, you know, real time or two, two directional traffic or whatever. You shouldn't have to switch Red Framework just to have a couple of these, these, these endpoints, right? It's like Python needs to be in every area because you shouldn't have to switch language just because you need, I don't know what, to be a bit more serious about things. So Python needs to be able to account for those more serious use cases. Well, same with Django. It needs an async story because you shouldn't have to change your web framework just for, you know, service end events or I don't know what other async, you know, a bit of real time. Almost nothing waits on other things like web frameworks do. They wait on database calls. They wait on the network. They wait on caches, you know, like Redis. They wait on uh, maybe calling other APIs. Like almost everything they do is coordinating other systems and waiting and then turning that to HTML or JSON. And so having rich async support is fantastic. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really coming on. And there are still, you know, there are bits inside, you know, I don't know if you if you need the, I don't know, user passes test decorate, permissions decorator. Is that yet async defy? I'm not sure if it is, but okay, that's not, we haven't got to, maybe we have, I, I need to check, but we haven't got to that bit yet. But okay, those kind of bits, we'll get there with those, but that kind of core, I'm building something on the request response cycle with auth, with sessions. Yeah, that's all now done. And so really maturing. Getting short on time here, It's guys. so nice to have you what, be in charge else? of this, I should say, right? Because whenever there's those pauses, like my instinct is to jump in and like look at our notes, but like, it's just like, nope, you're you're captain of the ship. It's so nice. Yeah. We're just for, out for a sunset cruise in the, the old uh, boat. We're coming back to the harbor. So what else about the future, right? We talked about Django being 18, a lot of the cool ideas and projects and resources, but you know, what about the future some of which we just covered is, is really exciting. Maybe we haven't given time to yet. I'm personally excited about the new people getting involved. I know that's not as tangible for folks, but coming from Django Cons, coming, like I just stepped off the board. Uh, I was treasurer for three years. You know, I know who the new, the new treasurer is, the current president. Like I'm really excited about the new people. And so I don't 
for a while during COVID, I think some of us had concerns about like, you know, how do we keep this afloat and not have everything crash and burn? But I don't have those concerns anymore. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. just the fact that if you want something in Python that solves almost every web problem you have and has a really supportive community, Django is still there for you. And so I guess that's the big one. It's just, and I think from a marketing side, it's just how do we express that it's still cool and interesting and powerful and yet won't break on you. It doesn't seem as shiny and new as the next whatever, but it's, you know, it's like if you look on Hacker News every like six months, someone's like, wow, Django's like still around. Oh, it's like kind of solves all these problems we have with <laughs> yeah, right. this new JavaScript, this or that. And it's like, yeah, it's still just doing its thing. Sorry, so be, I would say the community side. I mean, also like I've got projects, you know, if you want to learn Django, I mean, like, let me, there's a lot of resources to learn it. There's a number, there's a, videos, you have videos, books, tutorials, like uh, some of these new newer technologies, it's harder, there's not a community and it's harder to find the resources. You know, there's a lot of strength in being around for a while and yet not being totally stale. So that would be my <laughs> my tagline for Django. How's that? I kind of go off that. I, I think actually it's, it is cool and it's about as cool as it's been for a while. I said in my um, DjangoCon Europe talk that I'm as excited about the framework and where it's going now as I have been for, for many years since, I, I said, since the DRF Kickstarter, if you remember that back in the, the day. There are over the last few releases, and I don't just mean 4.2 and 5.0 coming up. I mean, like the last 3.2, 4.0, 4 4.1, like last few years, there've been a number of threads, not just the async stuff. There's been massive changes to the forms templating. There's been um, all these changes to the ORM that are powering up every single release. And, and they've all come together. And there are patterns now to be discovered. They, and it, it's like I said, I'm, I'm stepping down in part because of life, but in part to get back to working with Django rather than just on Django. I, there, I want to play with all of these new toys that we've built over the last few releases. And I want to discover those patterns and see them codified and see them come out in the community. And it's just a massively fertile time. And so that's what I'm excited about. That's where we're going. And I can't say every release Django literally gobsmacked by how many new features you think oh there won't be any in the new one but <laughs> it gotta be done yeah, now. again five point yeah but 5.0 is coming out and it's just hitting you out of the park again and it's like wow we've only just had 4.2 4.2 is not even old yet 5.5.0 is not even in alpha and we're already thinking oh can we run it off main because it's so exciting the future is so many things have come together and the future is just really exciting so that, that is yeah my and as i say i feel like i would be bored by now with django like i've only been doing it for over a decade but like i'm if anything more interested there's just so many new features but also i'm understanding built-in functionality even better to solve problems that i just ha didn't have before so at some point maybe i'll be like oh, i know it all but i feel the opposite <laughs> i feel like whoa like i had no idea just one concrete example doing all the work with um templates and hmx and like coming to see the patterns about creating you know again fresh for the first time in use really using templates for the first time in half a decade it's like okay Ah, yes, I create a template tag here and I do it this way. And I use, I, I put a mapper in here to create a kind of view model type thing. So I pass in an ORM model object into the template tag. And then in the template tag, I map it to what I need in the actual template itself. Then the template comes in. It's like, oh, that's a really good and powerful pattern. And it's really encapsulated and neat. And it makes my template expressive. And oh, rediscovering these things and then being able to say, right, okay, well, what changes does the Django template language needs that it hasn't had in, you know, quite a few years because no one was using it. And ah, yeah, it's just a massively fertile. It is. And it's no, no coincidence that we've been hitting on HTMX so much because it really puts the power of frameworks like Django back front and center and how you think about building and structuring your web apps. 
right? It's it's not like, well, there's this thing in the back end and then we're going to go do these other languages. It's like, no, actually it could be all. And there's a bunch of cool features and capabilities that we've been talking about and you can use them throughout your app if you leverage something like, not necessarily, but something like HTMX, which is really cool, I think. For me, it works just with the grain of the framework. It's like, this is the way I would do it if I was writing in 2005. And I do it exactly the same in 2023. And... It just works and it's, you know, responsive and dynamic and all these nice things that, you know, clients want. Absolutely. All right. Let's leave it there, guys. Thank you so much for covering all this and celebrating Django's 18th birthday. 18th birthday, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It is an adult and it's it's a cool framework for sure. With really I think it's the community behind it, especially the the fellows and all the, the board and stuff, it, it makes it really unique and is it's certainly worth considering as part of the framework, right? As you said. Okay, with that, let's let's round this out with just a, a final shout out to what you guys have around Django. For example, the Django Chat podcast, right? Which is excellent. Give us a shout about that. You know, Will, tell us about Learn, uh, Learn Django and maybe button.dev or whatever else you want to throw I in. I should there. say Django chat.com you're sort of the, the godfather of it because you gave me a lot of good advice when we were starting out in the early days around things and that there might be a market for it so thank you for that so we're, you're welcome it's going strong it's a great show i enjoy listening to the episodes we're gonna be back in the fall with new episodes uh, and then learndjango.com that's my main website if you want to learn django access books lots of free tutorials premium ones coming that's sort of an all-in-one resource and i think there's also a link to uh, django-news which is a weekly django newsletter with new news that's happening, new projects, new tutorials, not just mine. So that's something I've been doing with Jeff Triplett for a number of years now. And that's a good way to stay in tune with what's happening. Yeah, that's kind of an essential resource, I'd say. And then Button, Carlton. Yeah, so, okay, so I'm, I'm well, I've got a website and I've got a, a blog somewhere. That's a button, btn.dev, that'll be um, live in the autumn now. And then, but you can follow me on Fosterdon or the Fediverse. And on my website, there's an RSS feed, which you could subscribe to if you you fancy that. My other big projects at the moment is working on a, a set of uh, opinionated crud views for uh, Django called Neapolitan, which is uh, a bit of fun. I'm having a lot of fun at that. So watch my DjangoCon Europe talk for an introduction of that. And then I'm working on a package called Django Template Partials as well, which is about getting um, template fragments into the Django template language, which again, I was going to ask about you about that. DjangoCon Europe talk. I know. Now that he's not a fellow, he yeah, can do so all the things he always wanted to. Yeah. When I started using this with, uh, I chose files. Oh, yes. And like, I, I'm like, man, you, have got to come up with a way to like reuse HTML almost like functions. So I came up with Jinja partials. So what is yours called? Uh, Django template partials. Template partial. Django template. Oh, oh, spacer. But all that. I think. I think I put a link in the notes. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there you are. There you are. So that's my um, my take. And it just enables you to define um, reusable components. There's a couple of pull requests open, which will just just change the API there slightly, and then we'll start to think about rolling it into Django. Hopefully, for now, it's going to be Django 5.1. There's no chance of me getting in for 5.0 um, this summer. But it's the same. It's the very same idea. And the the point with it is, it's integrated with the Django template loader. So all you all you do in your view is change your, your template name variable and you still return your template response same as you always had with the context there's no there's no adjusting your view logic it's almost transparent to the view layer and there are 
you know, I've seen people writing logic where they, they pass the HX vowels, which is where you pass extra parameters in your request from the client, which you could then specify the partial with, and then your view logic wouldn't change at all. That's out of scope for Django template partials, but it's a possibility. But the, the, the point being that you just, it's this for me or something like it is how Django wants you to do partials with the Django template language, obviously with Ginger. There's, you, there's an option as well with Django. So. Useful outside of HTMX required for HTMX, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, you because what's the other way? The problem with it is you are you then have if if you don't have inline partials, you have to move it to a separate template, and then you have to include that template in the other template, and that's great at a certain level of complexity. But again, it's this locality of behavior thing when you're first starting. You don't want that heavyweight kind of you're in your creative flow, you're making progress, and all of a sudden you have to put the brakes on to create a new file, move it open. What's the, oh, what's the file name again? Oh, I've spelt it wrong. Oh, it didn't load. Ah, oh, because it was in the wrong file. You don't want all of that. You just want inline that bit be reusable, please. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, this is, very, this is different. Mine doesn't embrace the locality of behavior as much as yours does. So people should check this out. This is interesting. Obviously, mine doesn't work with Django either, so it doesn't really matter. Well, it works with Jinja, though, right? So it works with Jinja, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right, but J so the Django template, Django templates have swappable backends, so you can use the Jinja backend to use Jinja templates with Django if that's your, if if that's your cup of tea. We got to end this podcast, but if you're looking at like moving a Flask project over to to Django, that would be a way to not touch the HTML very much. Right. Yes, exactly. Because you could carry on using your same templates more. Yeah, you, know, you might need one or two edits, edits to the what's it called, the Django environment, uh, the Ginger environment, or something. To I don't know. Thank you guys for being on the show. It's always uh, a great time to catch yeah, up with you. Thank you for having us. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Thank you to our sponsors. Be sure to check out what they're offering. It really helps support the show. Take some stress out of your life. Get notified immediately about errors and performance issues in your web or mobile applications with Sentry. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Sentry and get started for free. And be sure to use the promo code TALKPYTHON, all one word. Want to level up your Python? We have one of the largest catalogs of Python video courses over at TalkPython. Our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async. And best of all, there's not a subscription in sight. Check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm. Be sure to subscribe to the show, open your favorite podcast app, and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at talkpython.fm slash YouTube. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.